It's a great day to flex your freedom. Today, I have the honor of sitting down with somebody whose story I first heard many years ago, and I was riveted by it and just so in awe of the the grit it must have taken to get through everything that was involved in her experience. And today, I am excited to learn and catch up with her after all these years and see how she has come out the other side. For those of you listening who have been through something that is up in up extreme upheaval in your life is the words I can think of to look for it. Um, that's hard enough, but to do so in a public platform, I think would be, I know is actually <laughs> much harder than it is to do privately. And today's guest, Jessica Lynch, has done both of those things. She's been through something that would throw anybody for a loop, and she went through it in a very public way. And now it is many years later, and she's come out um, stronger, hardier, and she's using her platform and her experience and her insight that she's gained from it to follow her own path and create her own life, a life which she so richly earned with her service in our United States military. Jessica, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, yeah, I look forward to to talking. Let's Let's do this. <laughs> so um, I was only recently connected to you through Ryan Weaver, our mutual friend and people who've listened to us and followed us. You know, Ryan uh, performed at our Great American Summit. We've had him on our show a couple of times. Ryan is a, uh, a veteran himself, but his brother and his brother-in-law were both shot down on active duty, making him a two-time Gold Star family member and um, really just turning him into something of a beast of resilience and compassion and caring and looking out for other people. So when people connect you to other people on their network, it's always a huge honor, Jessica. So I got a lot to live up to. I can't let Ryan down by making this, <laughs> making this connection for us. Uh, so let's get into it then. You were just about 19 years old when you joined our United States military. I was 18. I was right out of high school. Yeah. So I was 18. Oh, yeah. Right 2001. Um, I joined in, so I graduated in May and then joined in July and went on the delayed entry program and left the week after September 11th. Oh my goodness. And when you look at 18 year olds now as an adult and you look at 18 year olds from this perspective, and you picture yourself as that 18 year old joining the United States military. And like, I look back at people who were my age when I'm doing things like my kids are approaching my age when I got married, when I had kids, when I did this or that, I'm like, oh my, you're just a baby. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, but certainly I didn't feel like a baby then. What is it like for you to look back and, and realize how, how very young you were when you took that step? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy just to even think that it was almost 20 years ago. Um, March will be 20 years since, you know, everything happened in Iraq. So it's obviously been longer than that. But I mean, I just look back and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, where did, first, where did the time go? But yeah, you're right. I mean, I look at them and I'm like, you know, my daughter is going to be 16 here in the next month. And I'm like, oh my, like, <laughs> how is, how is she already in high school? And, you know, finishing up her sophomore year and like, where, yeah, where does the time go? But yeah, you look at them and you're like, wow, yeah, the, these kids are so young compared to what I thought of as myself as even a 16 year old. And, and I guess that kind of brings up the parent in you of like, wow, these, these kids are, are so young and even 18, 19, I, 
just, <laughs> yeah, I remember being 18 myself in the military or, you know, going into the military and thinking, you know, this, this was fun. This was exciting. And now you're right. I look back and I'm like, wow, these kids are, are so young. And, and how, <laughs> how, how are we something <laughs> there? <laughs> I know. I know. It is crazy to be on the other side of that spectrum looking back, like looking at Adam and calling them kids. And I remember being 18 myself and like, I'm not a kid anymore, you know, and you get so angry talking about it. But um, yes, flashback to 18 year old Barb, you were actually still a kid. <laughs> so <laughs> Your parents were right when they told you that. All right. Um, so life in the military as a, as a teenager still, this always gets me, right? Like you're still not even old enough to legally go get a, a beer in most states, but you are old enough to sign on that dotted line and to deploy with our military and put your life on the line for your country. That just is something that I have yet to reconcile um, in my own head. I just don't, I, I don't get it really. Um, but so there you are, you're in the military and you wound up, did you, when you, it, when you joined the military, did you think that you were going to deploy or did you think that it was like a pretty safe time to, to join, relatively speaking, right? I mean, obviously, we we weren't at war at that time, so we were in peacetime. Um, I did not think that anything would happen because, again, this was July of 2001, so before, before 9-11. But I mean, I, I obviously knew that signing up there would be that potential eventually that I would deploy. Um, I didn't know that it was going to happen that quickly or that soon. And, you know, yeah, I mean, definitely looking back, like you were talking about earlier, the um, being 18, 19 at that time, you know, we, we were young, but I think that's kind of, I don't know. There's something about being in the military and the maturity level of, you know, 18 year olds at that time versus 18 year olds that are going off to college. And not that, not that 18 year olds going off to college are, are immature. I don't mean it that way. But I mean, I think when you're off on your own and you're going into the military, you know, there's that grown up aspect that you kind of have to go through very quickly because you are on your own. <laughs> you know, you're, you're meeting new people and you're, you're, moving away and, and you have nobody. Um, so yeah, it kind of makes you grow up a little bit quicker than, than most of your 18, 19 year old peers. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, this was in, was it in March of 2003 that this happened? Yes, I thought correct. so because, okay. So March, 2003, there were two really noticeable events, really noteworthy events, uh, in our, in our troops. And one was uh, something that I had also followed Sergeant Hassan Akbar uh, in Kuwait, um, threw a grenade into a tent and fired on his fellow service members as they fled. And he killed two of those service members. Uh, and then of course it was you and your convoy, you were, um, you were captured um, and you became the first female POW and both of those things, just one on top of the other, just sort of, I think, made it all the more real for people like me who are home, you know, watching this. And my husband was uh, in the military at the time and preparing to deploy. So it all made it especially real for me to hear about this. And so can you just, we don't have to go like super deep into it. I know you probably have told the story a hundred million times and there's so much more to you than the story, but I do want to give some context uh, for, you know, what you've been through and what it was like so we can come out the other side with you. So can you just share 
even just a little bit about what happened on that convoy? Yeah. I mean, I think most importantly, what I'll first start by saying, because a lot of people don't understand when I go into the, (laughs) when I go into the story, Um, but we were um, separated from this long convoy. Um, So, and that's how initially we ended up getting separated. And then we ended up getting lost. Um, GPSs failed us. Um, There was errors in reading the maps. I mean, just all of these chain of events that that started mm-hmm. occurring um, that were just not on our side. Um, and unfortunately, it led us into the town of the Nazaria where we were eventually um, ambushed. And at that point, there were 33 of us. And um, when the ambush occurred, I was uh, in the back seat of the Humvee. Um, and technically I was on top of the transmission hump because that was the, it was a four seater Humvee and we were making room for, um, you know, soldiers to, to get in the vehicle and out of harm's way with us. Um, so as we were traveling really fast, my best friend was driving, my first sergeant's in the passenger seat, and then two, um, soldiers were sitting beside me. Um, we were, uh, hit by a RPG, a rocket propelled grenade on the right side of our vehicle. Um, And when that happened, uh, the the driver, Lori Paestoa, ended up losing control of the vehicle and we slammed into the back of an 18-wheeler. At that point, uh, she ended up, um, unfortunately, dying of head trauma. And uh, along the way, the three men that were with us were all shot and killed. And for me, I was knocked unconscious at some point during the the ambush um, because then I lost memory. I have absolutely no idea what what actually occurred. Um, but I just remember driving really fast. I don't remember us slamming into the back of the uh, semi or anything like that. So I was must have already been out of it by that point. Um, but then the Iraqis, they came around. They were determining who was uh, KIA and who was still alive. And they noticed that um, the other four were um, already gone, but they noticed that I was still breathing. Um, so they ended up taking my kind of lifeless body. They, they drug me across the street um, to one of Saddam's palaces where they stripped me of all of my military gear um, and proceeded to break some of my bones. And uh, then the, um, I'm going to call them good Iraqis, uh, stumbled upon me. They, they uh, took me to uh, Saddam General there in Anazaria. And uh, that's where then I was uh, held until eventually I was later rescued. Um, but I should mention, because you, you said my, the first female, um, I was one of three actual um, prisoner of war, female prisoner of war. Um, but I was the right. first one rescued. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for making that distinction. That's- it is, it is important. Those things do matter, right? Like you do want to set that straight. So thank I you do. for doing that. So, um, so how long were you then in the hands of the Iraqis who first snatched you from the Humvee? Um, we, I'm not actually sure they're guesstimating, um, by the kind of just putting together, you know, 
information that they could gather. Um, and I'm talking about the military officials. Um, so once that they were kind of able to gather information and timelines, they're only estimating about maybe two hours between the time that the kind of ambush um, all occurred to when I finally woke up and was in the hands of the um, um, Iraqis. Um, but at some point during the between the palace and um, be, before I woke up, um, they actually had taken me down to the operating room where they surgically removed my femur bone. Um, so I was I was still out of it at that point. Um, so they 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 were able to remove <laughs> remove my remove my femur femur bone out of my body but um you know i lay there with um they had snapped my right humerus my back was broken at the fourth and fifth lumbar um again the uh femur bone was taken out and the um tibia my left tibia was um uh, broken basically by them taking like a a ball bat or, you know, a metal pipe object and, um, breaking the, the, um, the tibia. And then my right foot was lodged underneath of the passenger seat. So when the Iraqis pulled me out, so like when the, because of during the ambush, since I was unconscious and I didn't have a way to stop myself, my body flew forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my foot got lodged underneath of the passenger seat. But anyway, so when the Iraqis pulled me um, out of the vehicle, they actually um, ended up twisting and breaking my foot and kind of snapping it to the side. So my foot was also broken at that point. So yeah, I laid there. Um, I had a head laceration, um, some cracked ribs, the the broken back, the arm, the leg, Um the lower leg and the, and the right foot. Yeah. Jeez. And, and you were unconscious for all of that? No, no. Well, I mean, during the, I guess during the, the breaking of the bones, I was, um, thankfully because, um, <laughs> my way of dealing with it and healing. Um, but at the same time, yeah. I kind of right. wish that I was awake just so I knew what was happening. <laughs> what would happen? Yeah. yeah. All right. That is a lot to handle. And um, I mean, the blessing there is that you were found by good people who took you to a safe place. I mean, I guess, and it seems so cold for me to say this, but I guess it could have gone so much worse. You know, it could have just continued to get worse for you instead of, um, you know, some good people finding you and taking you to where you were ultimately able to be rescued. So um you know, we're certainly glad that it turned out the way it did. And, and America got you back and your family got you back and you got to come back. What was that like then for you to go, to go through something, especially at such a young age? I mean, such a tumultuous thing. It's so multi-layered, you know, that you lost your friends, you were injured, you had physical injury, you had the emotional trauma of what you've been through and you weren't even afforded the ability to navigate that all physically and emotionally in private, 
you know, this was an extremely public story. This was on every headline, every newspaper, every TV, you know, every news show. Um, it was all about Jessica Lynch and, and your rescue. And um, of course, I remember America celebrating when you were rescued and it was just such a joyful feeling. So I imagine your family felt that, you know, a million times fold uh, for you all. But talk a little bit. I have some experience with this, too, about going through something extremely personal and difficult to navigate, but in a public platform. Um, for me, it was really it was extra confusing to have all the input from voices that I didn't necessarily want to hear from or care to hear from, um, offering their opinions on how I was or was not properly navigating what they determined that my path should be in, in my own healing and recovery. Did that happen to you to any extent? Yeah. I mean, obviously there was a lot of, <laughs> a lot happening at that time. Um, so I was 19 when I was rescued. Um, so I still was kind of I don't, I don't want to say young and dumb as they say, but I was still so, so young. And then when everything had happened, um, coming out of it, I, well, first of all, I didn't even know any of the news media even knew that I had been rescued. Like I just assumed I was one of the, <laughs> I, I just assumed that nobody knew what was happening and that they, you know, right. took me to Germany. Um, and then I was very excluded from kind of the public life. Like I didn't know what was happening on the outside, even though my family um, was there with me in Germany. And I remember asking my mom at one point, do my friends even know that I'm missing or what or was missing and, and that I'm here in Germany and I'm okay. And that's when I first found out and she was like, sweetheart, <laughs> she was like, everybody knows. And I was like, but to me, being from a small town in West Virginia, not, not living that kind of, you know, high profile lifestyle. I didn't, I, none of it made sense to me. Like I, I just was a small town girl from West Virginia again, like that's just who I was. And, and, um, so I didn't know that people even knew that I was in the military, let alone that all this was happening. Um, so yeah, I mean, coming out of it and then finding out that, whoa, <laughs> like every newspaper, every magazine at that time, everyone had picked up the story. Um, but then that's also where a lot of the fabricated stories come from because they didn't wait to find out the entire, truth, the entirety to the, uh, the information. I mean, that was, that was not, it just wasn't happening the way that I probably wished it had, um, because there was all these fabricated stories being released because everyone was just wanting to, to grab onto what they were hearing or what they were assuming. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that right there in itself kind of is what, hurt me the most, um, coming out of, out of it all, like even probably more so than the injuries. And I was trying to focus on getting better and, you know, dealing with everything that had happened. And then on top of it, you know, just the trauma itself of, you know, I lost 11 of my friends. Um, at, at that time, the other, um, five POWs were still in captivity. 
Um, so just all of these things that were still kind of mentally exhausting and, you know, and then, yeah, I mean, coming out of it and, and still having to deal with this, but yeah, I mean, I think that was probably one of the the hardest things to, to kind of focus on was, you know, the fabricated story side of it. Yeah. And is there a temptation then to go out there and like go out there publicly and be like, no, that's not what happened. And then make your statements and correct it all versus the, what's the point of going out there? They're just going to twist it. And like, why put yourself through, through that process? Like at what point did you make those decisions? Well, I, okay. So one of the things that with the military, you, as long as you are in the military, you can't really talk about it. So I wasn't allowed mm -hmm. to talk to the media. I wasn't allowed giving interviews. I wasn't allowed to be out in, in the public's eye. I mean, I had a, um, one of my overseeing doctors, um, he was able to go out and just kind of make updates of, of she's doing well, where she set up today, or, you know, like when I took my first bite of food, <laughs> um, so things like that, he was able to, to give kind of briefings on those. But as far as talking about anything that actually had occurred, um, we were not allowed to kind of talk about, um, so that was in April when I was rescued and I was not released from the military until the end of July. So on July 22nd is when I was actually able to come out and kind of make my own personal statement from my own mouth. Um, and that was, that was mm -hmm. basically at the homecoming, um, speech. Um, so yeah, I mean, from April, to the end of July, all these stories kind of took on the life itself. And, and unfortunately there wasn't, there wasn't much I could do with, with stopping it because once I was able yeah. to actually talk and come out with the, here's what actually happened. You know, those stories had kind of formed a life of their own. Right. And so now, did you have people saying, no, Jessica, that's not what happened. This is what <laughs> happened. Like, is it because they'd read it or did, did that not happen? That would just be weird to. Like, no, all the time. <laughs> I mean, I still get that. Like I was honored at the, um, Stillers game this past Sunday and, you know, so it made kind of the headlines again. And of course coming up on the 20th year, but anyway, so yeah, people, people are on, you know, my social media talking about how, well, that's not, that's not what I remember. And I'm like, yeah, but you also remember the stories <laughs> that the news had put out there. So let me tell you from my own mouth what actually happened. Um, so yeah, I get that all the time. And, and I, all I can do is try to, here's what happened. And if they believe you, they believe you. And if not, you just go on about it because <laughs> some people, you just can't change what their mind. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That is just wild. And so now, and I have to tell you, I'm sitting here, I'm talking to you. We're just having a normal conversation. It sounds so crazy to hear like, you, you know, you just, you're just a sweet person talking like have a pleasant conversation and it's not lining up with like the words coming out of your mouth and the horror and, and the, the, you know, everything that you, that you went through. Um, that's just, it's like such a stark contrast. Um, I imagine, I don't know, 
when I had to start sharing my story about what happened, I could barely get through it without sobbing or breaking down. And then it would take me like three, four days to recover after I shared it. Um, and so I had to like start picking and choosing what I did. What happened? What is it when you get to a place where you can talk about it so calmly like you're doing now? Um, do you find that you're then also judged by people who are like, oh, look at her just sitting here talking about it. Like it doesn't even matter or has has that occurred to you or is that not something that you've encountered? No, I mean, obviously it did at first because that was something, again, just even being in the public eye or being on the stage, like, again, that was something that I wasn't used to. I didn't like to be out in front of people. Like, so that, that in itself is nerve wracking and makes you nervous and your, your voice is all you know, crackly. So it, it does come off very, you know, like you're, you're scared. (laughs) Um, but again, and it's been almost 20 years. Um, and I have gotten to the point where I'm okay. I'm okay. I have learned to deal with it in my own manner, in my own way. Um, I'm like everybody else. I still get you know, night terrors and I have horrible PTSD and, you know, I still cry over losing, losing my fallen comrades. Um, but again, it's, it's something that I kind of do. I've learned to deal with on my own terms and my own way and, and how I have done that. And and I, I think that just comes with, with time. I mean, I know everyone that says that, like, if you lose somebody, you know, you know, you kind of never get over them and you, and you don't, um, but you learn to, to grieve in your own, in your own way and, and how it, it helps you. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely still hard. It's, it's something I probably will never get over as I say, get over, but, um, no, no I imagine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's something. Yeah. No, and I don't think you're supposed to, I think that's, um, I think I have found that with with grief alone and not not even all the other layers that you've had both grief alone, you know, they go through the five stages or the seven stages. And then the last one is always um, acceptance. And then you think, oh, well, I've accepted it. So I should be fine now. But then what nobody ever talks about is that the other stage is is repeat. Um, Hey, I added two stages in, I added forgiveness and repeat because I had to learn how to forgive myself for so many things and forgive other people. Um, cause the anger was getting to me. And then I had to understand that it was going to repeat through life. Like you're going to be bouncing one day, you're going to be fine. And then you're going to be just really mad about something, or you're going to be really sad, or you're going to like have this brain fog and you're going to struggle. And that's never going to end. And you have to realize that you're not failing, like failing at healing when you happen that, but giving yourself permission to feel all those things again, I found for me to be instrumental in being able to navigate life too. Is that familiar to you? Like, would you agree, disagree? Like, no, absolutely. I would agree. Um, but, and I will add to that, like there, there are certain things that just trigger you or triggers me. Um, so I will, I will be fine for, you know, hours or days or even a month and, and I'm okay. And then, you know, memories or I don't know, a smell or a song will come on or, you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, 
And it does. It, it triggers you and it can be even the littlest thing. And maybe it's something that I can get over within, you know, five to 10 minutes. Or sometimes it is something that just hits me so hard that it could take me days, weeks, a month to, to finally kind of accept the fact that I'm okay. Like I'm here, I'm surrounded with love. And that's something that I have the hardest time with is that survivor guilt of, you know, I'm here. Why am I here? I shouldn't be here. I don't want to be here. Um, so all of those things. And, and I know that my comrades, <laughs> um, people just in the military in general, they, they have the hardest time wanting mm -hmm. to survive. And I, and I know that's why we have such a huge rate of suicide because I feel it. I know what they are going through. Um, I've been at the lowest point in my life as well. Um, and thankfully I have a huge support system that when they recognize that I am at that lowest, they can bring me back up. And even if it's not saying a word to me, just knowing that, that they are there. And I, and I hope that everybody has that. And unfortunately they don't. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I, I totally understand. I agree with you on, on all aspects of that because, yeah. you know, definitely memories, triggers, all of that can, can really put you in a, a spot that sometimes you don't want to be in. Yeah. So you're, you're a mom now. Yes. How many kids do you have? Just the one. Um, she's, she'll be 16 next, next month. So, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're in it. You're in it. Um, but is it crazy to you? And does she ever like to to her, your mom, right? You are not Jessica Lynch, who had this whole huge event happen in her life and who the world followed her story and has to do all this like you're her mom and you're supposed to, you know, make sure her cell phone bill is paid and she gets to where she's going to go. And, she, and, you know, you argue with her over screen time or whatever it is you argue about and she knows better. And you're, you're just the mom. Do you ever like look, look at your life and kind of like have to just again in your own head, like a line, like, Oh my gosh, like, you have to like be this person. Now you have to like step into this role now and then step out. You have to put all that stuff over here because none of that applies to your world. Now it gets a little, it seems it really, so surreal sometimes, doesn't it? it really, it really <laughs> and you're a teacher. Really yeah. So I yeah. got my elementary degree back in um, 2011. So I, I graduated with that, my bachelor's, and then uh, went on and got my master's degree in communication. So yeah, with all of that, so I go into the classrooms, and when I'm not in the classrooms, I am, you know, doing interviews or traveling. Um, and when I'm not doing right. that, I could be found sitting on the sidelines, watch my daughter cheer at football games. <laughs> and so you have all these different, like one day you're on the stage speaking to thousands of people, or you're doing a podcast from your room, or you're driving your daughter somewhere, or you're teaching, and it's just boom, like, which Jessica am I today? Like, what am I, you know, what am I doing? Who needs what from me? But talk for a minute then, because teachers had a really rough time this past few years. I know students did. I saw it with my stepkids here and my older kids in college. Um, what were some of the, the 
challenges that you face as a teacher with all the, the COVID stuff. And do you think that having gone through everything that you've gone through, you were better equipped to deal with some turmoil in, in your world than maybe other people were? Yeah. So I'll speak on um, the aspect of the the substitute because that's, that's what I am right now. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I think even as a parent <laughs> to a child who had to go through this, um, yeah, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. as teachers, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to handle it. Um, or at least we didn't in West Virginia in my little county. Um, there was things that, you know, we just weren't prepared of how to how do we teach these kids in these remote areas? Um, because most of West Virginia is very rural. Uh, we don't have cell phone service in, in even certain parts of the county. So how do we how do we get <laughs> these children, these students, the equipment that they need to be able to be taught while we did the um, in school or in home uh programs. And it was hard. It was difficult. Um, but I think, you know, overall they handled it well in a very timely fashion to get, to get everything set up for these, these students. But yeah, I mean, it's, it was, um, a difficult thing, even as a teacher to get these kids back into the learning mode when we did go back into full-time teaching instead of remote learning. Um, and it, it was, it was rough even for my daughter. Okay. You got, <laughs> got to make sure you go to bed on time because now you got to get back to actually to go to school. Um, got to get up at 8 a.m. instead of, you know, logging in at by 10. Um, so it, it was, it was tough. It was, it was rough on everybody around the whole country. So it's not just, not just West Virginia. I speak on West Virginia because that's what I'm familiar with. But yeah, I mean, everyone was difficult. Like you were talking about, I mean, kids, college students, every, everyone, it hit, it hit hard. It hit, it hit difficult. Doesn't it seem crazy that that even happened now? It's like, you're looking back, like we were locked down for (laughs) two years. I mean, it's like when you're in it, you're just doing it. And then you get out and you look back and you're like, what just happened? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm with you with that. I mean, and even still today to be like talking about COVID, like we just have known about it our whole entire life. Like these kids have just grown up with the term COVID and they still don't even know what it means. Like, right. (laughs) I know. I know. I hate it. To me, it is, uh, the real C word (laughs) that way. It's the one that's the worst. I like, I, it's the one, the word I dislike more than most others. Um, so, all right. How do you think that people can, um, draw even from your story or other stories or their own experiences to pull a nugget where they can, we all have adversity in our lives. We all struggle. We all challenge. Sometimes we let those build up to where there's so many trivial things, but we build them up into something that feels so huge when really they're just the stupidest stuff that we allow to hold us down. Um, is there something that you've gleaned from your, you know, the totality of your experiences, um, right up until this day as a parent and teacher and all this, that's, um, maybe allowed you to have some little nuggets of wisdom for people who are kind of trapped underneath all the the stress of a everyday life and then the stress of 
truly significant traumatic events in their lives? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, obviously it all depends on the person because what I may be able to handle physically, mentally, emotionally, it's going to affect you differently. So I definitely don't want to compare, you know, apples to oranges because everybody is different. We all go through, like you were saying, we all go through these struggles, these obstacles, and that's on an everyday basis. Um, So, you know, it's, it's hard to really kind of, kind of find, find out who you are and, and what you can physically take. Um, And that, and that's, the hard balance of kind of life and, and what I've learned from the time that I was 19 going through all of this till now I'm 39 and kind of like, wow, you know what? Perseverance is my kind of new attitude because I just never give up. I mean, I keep that, you know, never give up attitude and, and really kind of resiliency of finding who I am and just, you know, the adversities that we are all dealing with in life. It's, it's tough. It really, really is tough. Um, but yeah, I just say to people, you know, that again, no matter what, what obstacle you are overcoming, whether it is, you know, a death in the family, or, you know, if you're like Ryan, who is dealing with two, um, you just gotta, you gotta keep going. You gotta find, Find that, you know, deep down passion of whatever it is that keeps you going, whether it's your children, whether it's your parents, whether it's, you know, your job, whatever, whatever kind of, you know, anything that you like to do on this on the side. I mean, just just do it. Don't stress too much and and just keep kind of having fun with life. Um, as we know, it's it's too short to to really kind of bring out everything in a negative mode. So yeah, just, just have fun and, and persevere and, and keep being resilient because we all have that deep down inside of us. You just got to find it. I love that you said that. That was another thing that I came to realize as well. And so this is what I compare it to. You know, when you go to a doctor's office and you have some kind of injury and they say on a scale of one to 10, what kind of pain are you in? And then for those of us, I'm one of those people that has, I think, a higher pain threshold um, or apparently I do have a higher pain threshold than I guess a lot of the patients they see, like, like I could have like pancreatitis, you know, I'm being digested from the inside out or like that to me is the worst pain I've ever been in where like literally my insides were were just torn apart. Right. And so I, when they say, what's the worst pain that to me would be a 10. So if I have a broken arm and it's broken in two places, I'm going to say, well, you know, that's a four because it doesn't suck as bad as, as this (laughs) sucks. Right. Like that. Um, and so then they can kind of dismiss, oh, well, it's only a four. That doesn't really count. You're right. Or you say 10, I think you're exaggerating. So I think, I think you're exactly right. I think trying to categorize what people, what level of pain people should feel for any kind of injury to their mental health or their physical body. I think that is a mistake that we can all make. Um, and when we look at other people and say, oh, well, you know, her grandpa died. Well, so what? My husband died. And what is she crying about? Like, you know, it's only her grandpa. Or, you know, you could look at someone and be like, oh, they had a car accident. Well, great. You know, they, they had a car accident. And they walk. What are they? You know, what's so we get into that challenge of doing that. And people play the compare game or rate pain and 
you want you to put a number on your pain, but I think that's where we get lost in the, I I think we do, we all do ourselves a disservice when that happens. So I'm so glad that you pointed that out. Um, And I, I like it when I am having a conversation with somebody who's been through something significant and feel like so many people make that point and that distinction. And that to me is a really telling sign of somebody who has come through and really taken the time to work on themselves and get some perspective and, um, and heal in the best, strongest way and, and use that in a way that you can have the most impact on other people. Um, were you always like that? Did you come out of that? Did it take you a while to arrive at, arrive at a place? Like, did you have a period of time where somebody would come to you and say this problem, that problem, that problem? And did you have a time where you were less quick to, to validate that in your head, to like to validate their struggle? No, I mean, I, I think from kind of, well, no, I mean, from the time that I, from the time I was 19, 20, when, the, when everything happened, I guess. Um, but yeah, I didn't always kind of grow up that way. Um, but yeah, I, I think just like what you were talking about, I mean, I went to physical therapy and he was asking me to rate my pain. And I was like, but I mean, <laughs> as compared I've to, had, yeah. yeah, I mean, I've had 20 surgeries and, you know, my back being broken and, and people who have kind of went through similar surgeries or like you, I mean, that it's just, how do you compare what I went through with 20 surgeries and laying there for nine days right. with all these broken bones and, you know, not being fed or not getting, you know, the pain medication that I needed during captivity. Like, how do you compare that to what I'm experiencing now going back to physical therapy? So I'm like, I can't, my, (laughs) my 10 level, like you said, I mean, no, it's, it, all of mine are going to be two, threes and fours because what I experienced back then those were tens, twelves, fifteens on that scale. And now I'm like, yeah, you know, it's a little back pain or it's a little, you know, my foot's a little wobbly. Like, yeah. So, but yeah, I think just you, you kind of learn to deal with things as you get older, um, because your body does not work the same. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, I, I, and and mentally. Oh, you haven't even started that, by the way. You're only 39. Shut up. You haven't even <laughs> begun to experience. Oh, but, <laughs> <laughs> the that I go through on a daily basis. Um, so buckle up, buttercup, because whatever you're feeling now, it's going to bring friends. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be sometimes worse. Yes, that's what they keep telling me. And then they're like, well, you know, you're so- knee replacement. And I'm like, Ooh, not yet, not yet. Let's, let's wow, give it a couple yeah. of years before I have to go through that. But, but yeah, I just try the best that I can and, and focus mentally on, I don't know, being the best person that I can be for my family, for my daughter, especially, and, and giving her that positive role model of, you know what, if, if mama can do this, <laughs> you can do it at 15, like, if I can climb this mountain, so can you, you know, right. physically and <laughs> speaking. So, yeah. <clears throat> awesome. And so, all right, 
As this is the Flex Your Freedom podcast, I do have to ask, um, you know, we've talked a lot. And to me, everything that we've touched on um, really talks about how to find freedom from the things that are holding your, you back, you know, in your life. Mentally and emotionally, that counts just as much uh, as physically. So we all have these things that hold us back and finding a way to overcome them is what gives you freedom to go out there and achieve and pursue everything else that is out there for us all to achieve and experience in our lives. But um, on the other side of that is the word freedom itself. And so I'm just curious to ask you and to know, you know, what does that even mean to you? What is What does freedom mean to you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's kind of changed over the years because as, you know, as a kid, a teenager, you know, you think of free, <laughs> you're, right. you're free um, because that's what they kind of teach you in school. But, you know, as now I'm looking back and I'm like, you know what, like you're talking about, there's so many things that you're just your mind, your body, your soul, your, you know, everything that you can kind of release those demons that are kind of holding you back. So not necessarily, you know, just free in general, but just, just everything that you can kind of release. And, and, um, so that's kind of, I guess, personally speaking, but yeah, I mean, I think just having that freedom for our country and doing the same thing is, is so important. And it, and it is, it's about, you know, how can we as a country come together how can we support each other? How can we, you know, continue to to pray and and get these military men and women home safely to their families for the holidays? I mean, we're coming up on Christmas right now, and you know, we have so many brave men and women that are stationed throughout the world, um, not necessarily even at war, but just mm -hmm. in general, just stationed away from their families. And, and what are they doing? They're protecting our freedom. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's just so much to that word of how you can look at it. Um, but yeah, it's about just kind of, you know, how can you in yourself, your, your, your mind, your body, your soul, and, and being free from all of those demons that you are possessing. But then, you know, in, in a wild general speaking, you're, you're just talking about, you know, freedom for, for our country and, and keeping our men and women safe and, and protected. Yeah, I could not agree with you more on all of, on all of those points. So thank you. Jessica, if people want to connect with you online, find you out there, follow you, learn more about maybe how to get you to come speak or hear your story more, read your, read your book, um, where can they go find you? Um, the easiest is my website, so pwjessicalynch.com. And then, of course, I have, you know, a... Um, public Facebook page, which I think is Jessica Lynch POW and then TikTok. So all of these fun little <coughs> social media. Um, unfortunately, I had to, <laughs> had to get rid of TikTok and, and, uh, Instagram because they kept getting hacked, but I'm going to eventually start those back up for the 2023 year. Or so, and hopefully just have a, stronger, better <laughs> passcode that they, that they can't get into and can't keep doing that. But, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm out there, but the easiest is, is the, uh, the website and then it kind of takes you where you need to be. All right, great. And we'll put those up. We'll put those links up, um, in the little sidebar on the, on our site next to your 
episode, you know, your interview info. So Jessica, thank you again. Thank you really for taking the time to sit down with me. I am so excited to have had this chance and I'm definitely going to follow up with you, you know, in the future and anything we can do to support you on our, on our side, you know, you have new things coming out, new news to share. Always let us know. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Do you say you have new news to share? I do. Well, I mean, nothing that we're releasing yet, but yes, for the 2023, we have a lot of new stuff because of it being the 20th year. So a lot of new projects, a lot of new stuff that we are or will be releasing. So yes. Okay, great. When the time comes, definitely use us. We'll be happy to put it out there. Absolutely. 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 